This is K-Town USA, a podcast about Korean America. Who we are, where we are, and where we're headed in American life. I'm Danny Huang. I'm Louis So. And I'm Lizzie Ju. And today, for our first episode, we explore food. From the ingredients, to how a dish is prepared and made, and even how it's eaten, food is inextricably tied to culture. We are what we eat. As Koreans and Korean Americans, I think you could say we're like, a solid part of our bodies is probably literally made of kimchi. (laughs) Yeah, arguably so. And like you brought up earlier, Louis, what you eat not only says something about heritage and history and broad strokes, it says something on that personal level. Yeah, I think for a lot of families in America from different cultures, they bring something with them, but inevitably, they also absorb what they're exposed to here as well. There's definitely a give and take when it comes to food and culture, whether people are conscious of it or not. A lot of the time, one of the first things we come into contact with when experiencing another culture is its food. Haven't you worked at a Korean restaurant before, Lizzie? Yeah, I mean, it was in a fairly urban, liberal area, so it might not be the same everywhere, but... Of course, we get our constant stream of Korean customers, but I was actually pretty surprised how often we get non-Korean, even non-Asian diners. So jumping off from that, I went out to ask Chicagoans on the street about Korean food. Do you eat a lot of Korean food usually? I've only had Korean food once with friends. Um, from time to time, like not all the time, but probably like once a month. What's like the first dish that comes into your mind when you think about Korean food? What is it called? Like a bibimbap. Yeah, bibimbap. Bibimbap. I like hajjeon, the seafood pa- pancake. <laughs> barbecue. There's Korean barbecue. Mm-hmm. It has those like rice cake like things. I'm not sure if that's a technical term. The, yeah, the rice cake with the spice, uh, kimchi sauce. Oh, I think. okay. They had something here, and it was like Korean. Pork Korean pork. And it, I don't remember what it was, but it tasted really good. Do you enjoy Korean food normally? I do. I do enjoy most treat. If it's not too hot, I enjoy it. Thanks. No so quite a few people did have some experience or were at least aware of Korean food. Yeah, I mean, quite a few people had really minimal to no contact as well. But considering we are not in a place like New York or a West Coast city with a significant Korea town, I was actually surprised that quite a few people had tried Korean food. This is actually pretty amazing to me because I've lived in the Midwest and considerably white parts of the East Coast. And for most of my early childhood in the U.S., people barely even knew what or even where Korea was. And there seems to have been this major breakthrough in the last decade or so. And now Korean flavors are like the new teriyaki for some reason. So I got curious and I decided to investigate like what Korean foods or flavors does your average Chicagoan even come into contact with? And what better place to see what they have than at a local supermarket? Okay, so uh, we're here on the corner of East Grand Avenue and uh, North Columbus Drive. Um, Heading over to the Whole Foods Market uh, in the central downtown area of Chicago. Almost as soon as we walk in, I'm in the section where you can get hot food for takeout and there are refrigerated shelves to the side, right? Where you can get like assortments of juices like coconut water, pomegranate juice, 
and there's some probiotic stuff and that's where i made my first okay. discovery so we have a probiotic kimchi live shots i don't even know what that means um by this place called wild brine about to experience a whole new way of enjoy to enjoy kimchi's goodness, framing with live lactobacillus bacillus. Use this magical elixir to add a boost. So pure kimchi liquid to any of your favorite foods, or just take a shot for instant probiotic energy. Oh, like as take a drink. A shot of this? What? I know, right? I guess it's either like an additive to like a dressing or something, or apparently you could have it as like a straight up probiotic shot. Other than that, there was actually a bunch of stuff at the store. Mother-in-law's gochujang, fermented chili paste. Finally, we've come across gochujang in, uh, in a Whole Foods. Oh, and, and right next to it says Sunny's Gourmet Products Korean Teriyaki. And we have Korean sesame between Jamaican jerk and uh, Theo's Steakhouse Sauce. There's kelp noodles. This Korean sweet chili gochujang hot sauce noodle bowl. I don't, I don't know what that would actually taste like. Korean pork bites um, is apparently sold out. And it says, and Yival has uh, bulgogi beef. Okay, and right next to it, we have a bunch of other stuff. Gochujang chicken with brown rice. It's bibimbap with beef and brown rice. Of course, they also have the beef bulgogi. That's practically the menu for the Korean restaurant I work at. Right there. Mediterranean. Yeah, Mediterranean. Kimchi, there we go. Mother-in-law kimchi. Wow. In a, in a jar with Napa cabbages. Okay, so there's a vegan version. Changmogimchi. That's like literally, like that's like literally mother-in-law's kimchi. And wow. it's placed right next to sauerkraut. Okay, now this this, this is, is kind of weird. So there's this place, there's this thing called caraway kimchi. We make kimchi fresh year-round. Therefore, from batch to batch, the taste, color, and juiciness are different. Well, okay, I so guess, I man, but your colors look really weird. I found another pack of kimchi. Oh shit, yeah. Packs. Um, Farmhouse culture. They kimchi. also have sauerkraut. Like, this looks a little more like the kimchi we recognize. There's a couple different ones, like the Napa cabbage one. There's Still one vegan. with uh, vegan Napa cabbage. Of all the kraut and the kimchi going on, the mother in law's kimchi is clearly the most popular, just out of the fact that there's like very little left actually. So, yeah, I think uh, that pretty much wraps up our. Wow, that's actually quite a bit of stuff. I guess Korean food has finally made some ground into the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I somewhat expected Whole Foods to maybe have a bottle of kimchi, but there was a lot more stuff than I'd expected. It's come a long way, I suppose. I think getting back to that idea of food integrating through the cultural exchange that occurs between immigrants and the rest of America, the forces that lead to synthesis is through the next generation. Like naturalized second-generation immigrants or Korean-Americans like yourself. Yeah, that's definitely true. When you grew up, you know, like eating mostly Korean food at home and then having what everyone else has at school and whatnot, that evolves into something different from what your parents grew up with. Like, like you said earlier, a good portion of me might be kimchi, but there's probably a good amount of pizza and sandwiches somewhere in me too. For someone who cooks for a living, I guess that can be expressed fairly directly in what they make. This rising trend of Korean food is not just from the efforts of traditional mom-and-pop shops and BBQ restaurants. It's guys like David Chang of Momofuku in New York doing Michelin two-star fine dining, or Roy Choi of Kogi in Los Angeles, who was the founder of the food truck movement and inspired the movie Chef. I think it's worth noting the sheer range of the spectrum that signifies. 
like integration and evolution in Korean food is happening from the two-star level all the way to the food truck level. Even here on the third coast of sorts, we've got chefs that are actively bringing Korean food beyond that immigrant perspective and taking that step to make it American. So we each got to talk with the head chefs of restaurants doing some form of Korean American fare. Danny, would you like to start us off? Sure. So I met with a chef, Won Kim, at this place called Kimski. Korean name is Kim Won Yup. I'm the partner chef at Kimski. And it's a small street food joint attached to Maria's, a bar in Bridgeport. The thing is, the food they serve is kopo, or Korean Polish. Ah, hence the name Kim Ski. I still can't get over that, the whole concept, kopo. Yeah, it was a bit strange at first, but you know how you were at Whole Foods and found kimchi with sauerkraut? I guess there is some common ground between the two. Polish people use sauerkraut, why can't we use kimchi, right? It totally makes sense, it's the same thing. It's just salted, rotting shit. It's all salt! At the end of the day, it's all salt and sodium. And how can it not taste good together? The Kopo food concept came from the bar owner Maria's two sons, Ed and Mike Marzuski, who are half Polish and half Korean. When they were young, they used to have barbecue cookouts and their Korean aunt would bring kimchi to top on grilled Polish sausages. Ed and Mike replicated that every Monday night at Maria's. You buy a drink, you get a Polish sausage topped with kimchi. And then Juan comes into the picture. Uh, I came in to make kimchi and I did a joke plating of a Polish sausage. I plated it for each person and kind of like a soignee presentation of a fucking Polish, which is, which is a joke. But Ed and Mike, they asked if I wanted to run the food portion. They want to run this concept even further. And I said, no, three times, probably more. No fucking way do I want to do this every day. Now I'm exhausted all the time, hungover, and I cry a lot. Won Kim isn't actually a trained chef. He's a freelance artist. He was born in Seoul, and his family moved here when he was really young. When that was exactly is apparently still a mystery to him. But yeah, he grew up in Chicago, West Rogers Park. He had a pretty rough childhood, too. He grew up poor, his biological father passed away in a car accident when he was young, and he was raised by a stepfather. As you might imagine, it wasn't easy fitting in as a Korean growing up in a working-class urban neighborhood in Chicago. And he didn't quite find solace in the Korean communities either. Growing up around other Koreans at church especially, they always had this weird, like, you know, one-upper attitude. Korean, Koreans were pretty mean. They're just fucking really mean people here. And even though, you know, battling against, like, white people being shitheads, we, the Koreans were even worse, you know? Like, I stopped going to church and stopped believing in that shit because of how terrible the pastor's kids were. Despite all that, he still maintained the connection to Korean culture, and cooking for his family was kind of that link. I grew up with my mom cooking food. I was the youngest out of four, and I would always be the one to help her out making kimchi. I was the one that pounded the garlic, the ginger, and the morum pestle. I was always a taste tester, and if I wanted mushrooms or something, she would always put mushrooms in. So, you know, she would do special things like that and adjust recipes and adjust traditional food to my liking. I know, I think it's that that got me interested in it, but then I didn't really want to cook for a living. It's like if it's part of your job, you automatically assume that you're not going to like it. Mm -hmm. And now I run a restaurant, which is fucking super weird. And again, I just, just cry and sit in a corner at the end of the night. He complains a lot, but he actually has a pretty cool setup. You walk in, there's a counter, a small hole of a kitchen to the left, and behind the counter is a doorway to Maria's where the bar is. There are wooden booths with people playing board games and a patio outside. 
As for the food, there are less entrees than bar food. It's super salty, the portions are pretty small, the wings come in paper Chinese takeout boxes. There's a lot of failure. I mean, I eat a lot of shitty food. <laughs> trying to R&D for this restaurant, I, I eat a lot of crap. We've changed how we did each individual menu item, thinking like, duh, why didn't we add salt to it before? Now, we're at, now we have to add salt to it. Duh, dumbass. Like when we did this, the pork, for instance, the shoulders, we used to do a wet marinade, a wet rub. And then the sous chef was like, well, I did this dry rub and it turned out way better. I'm like, why the fuck didn't we do that before? Why are we so stupid? Why are we so bad at our jobs? Why didn't we add salt in the fucking get-go? That makes sense. Of course it tastes good. There's salt. So it's, it's a work in progress, right? I mean, it always will be. He makes it sound simple at first, but as he walks you through how he cooks and develops food, you realize a lot of thought goes into it, you know, beyond just salt. Every culture, everywhere in the world has a dumpling, something stuffed with something else, and that has sauerkraut and smoked mushrooms in it. It's called kapusta. You saute it to change the structure of the cabbage, to wilt it a little. Fucking delicious. And then, well, it needs a sauce. In any culture, it comes with a fucking sauce. What's the sauce? Well, it can't be soy sauce. There's already a lot of salt content in the kapusta. So what do Polish people like? Well, sour cream, right? That's like the ketchup of fucking Poland. So how do we make it Asian? Let's smoke our soy sauce. Smoke it over the coals. Let's see what it tastes like. Sweet. It tastes great. Mix it together. Add sesame seed oil for body. This is all things that we know about the ingredients that we combine together and say, well, that has to taste good because it's salt. And <laughs> sesame and chamgidum is fucking delicious on everything. Complete dish. That was the experimentation for the Patsky. So, Juan might not be formally trained, but he's an artist, and he approaches food like the man he is. It's, the process is a bit aggressive, but it's incremental. And maybe it looks like simple bar food, but for him, the details matter. How can we slam it instead of fuse it? How do we like force it on each other? How do you, you know, make each other dance with you? How do you make the two cultures dance with each other? Uh, and eventually fuck, right? You do it little by little, you know? You go on a few dates, make it comfortable, and then if it tastes good, like, why not bang? That's basically what the food is, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I just want to run a snack shop. Snack shop with, with morals. So we order, you know, we order the happy chickens. We order the happy pork. You know, they were killed ethically. They were in a big orgy or something. They all fucked each other, and they were happy before they died. That kind of shit, you know? Ethically treated, blah, blah. So I pay a little extra for all that stuff. We pay the maximum. And I'm okay with that business model because you can taste it. It's a, that, that kind of shit is important to me. Some people will try to do shortcuts. I'm like, no, it's like 10% more effort and it will taste 100 times better. And that's all cooking is. That little effort will make anything you make taste so much fucking better. And you could tell. That's why I try to instill with like even just cheap food. Like you can make it taste like it should cost way more. And it's that effort and it's that care. It's sad that I didn't get to visit Kimsky with you guys. Kopo sounds really interesting. The food was definitely geared more to the bar setting than a typical restaurant, and it was somewhat hard to place the food since I'm not familiar with Polish food, but the Kimski staff definitely put in a lot of work to make what they do. It's not just caramelized kimchi thrown on a hot dog or something, which was kind of what I was expecting before we visited them. So one Kim also suggested that we get in touch with another Korean-American chef he knew in the suburbs, right? Yeah, so let me introduce you to David Park of Hanbon. My name is Dave. We opened up a small restaurant in a food court called Hanbon in Westmont, uh, trying to push Korean food in a certain direction that I don't think it's been going. David was born in Korea and immigrated here with his family when he was in fourth grade and grew up in New Jersey since then. 
He is about average height, he has an easy smile, wears a white t-shirt, and a simple white apron. His sole kitchen companion is his fiancée, Jennifer Tran, beaming and welcoming and always wearing a pastel-colored apron with bunnies. Hanbon is a stand in a mostly Chinese food court adjacent to a bare Chinese grocery, unassumingly placed among an office park. Don't let the modest exterior fool you or turn you away. David and Jennifer are both Culinary Institute of America graduates, and David, while still young, built quite a career in the fine dining world of Chicago. He was once part of the opening team of the aviary and sous chef at the former storefront company. He's got the chops. When I went to culinary school, I was like, you know what? It's nice being different. Um, you stick out and you grew up with, you had a different childhood than everybody else. Why not embrace it and do the food that you grew up loving that you rejected for so long? So he was taking time off from European fine dining when he and his fiancée, who lived in Westmont, noticed the empty space at the food court. There's very nice towns around this area. And I feel like a lot of these people that work around here, or live around here, I should say, um, they kind of deserve something good to eat that's different than a pizza or a burger or, let's say, another Mediterranean place or just fast food places. And I think we kind of fit that bill. And I wanted to offer that at a very low cost level where I don't have to charge an arm and a leg for someone to eat a bowl of ramen or to eat a bowl of jajangmyeons. So I wanted to kind of bring a different Asian concept in here. And this was the smartest way we could go about it in the sense that financially it's a lower risk and it's somewhere I could build my name as opposed to going to a big restaurant concept where it may fail really quick. So that's why we're out here. They started out with a very small staff, opening at just lunchtime and with a very simple short menu. Despite their odd location and hours, the word has been spread to the city with the Tribune calling it one of the most ambitious Korean restaurants in the area. Super fortunate, very humbling. Uh, we are very grateful for it. Uh, like Tribune came out at the best time it could have. We were struggling for like a few months. We we're like, how do we get people to come out here? Like, what is going on? What do I have to do? Um, Jen used to go around to every plaza around here, handing out flyers, menus, and everything. And yet it was like crickets. That's been the most blessing, I guess. It's been barely a year since their opening, and already they've even had distinguished visits from Pan Ki-moon, the UN Secretary General. He must have enjoyed it, too, because they were recently invited to cook by the Secretary General himself for the UN Security Council and other staffers at the headquarters in New York. They truly went from out of place to stand out. So what makes them so special and different? Hanbun bills themselves as thoughtfully prepared Korean-inspired dishes, and for the most part, the small menu might look pretty standard to those familiar with Korean food. But it's not as simple as Dave bringing gourmet training and flavors of his childhood together. I only grew up eating Korean food, uh, not necessarily made it ever. Um, it wasn't until I decided to open this restaurant that I ended up starting to play with Korean food. So I'm trained in basically more so Western cooking styles. So most of these recipes and all these things that I'm cooking here it's kind of based off taste and things that I remember, and I want to kind of recreate that same memory. I remember um, smelling the roasted chestnuts in the air in the winter. Uh, I remember picking chestnuts off the ground, cracking it with your shoes, you know, like those kind of things. And I love that idea. 
and I love that smell. So I wanted to kind of mimic that and brought that into the dessert. Dave essentially reverse engineers his dishes, incrementally working toward what he remembers, informed by the skills and techniques of his gourmet training. What he ends up with is familiar but uniquely his own. By this process, he's unbound by traditional conventions and allows him to inject a modern take. I still want to keep the idea, like I said, a soul of Korean food, um, but not necessarily presented in the same way. Let's say tteokbokki. I put pickled carrots and charred cabbages on it. Uh, I grew up eating street food, tteokbokki uh, in the streets uh, with toothpicks and stuff like that. And it was delicious, but it always felt very one-dimensional. But now, like adding the pickled carrots, giving that acidity, um, giving the charred smoke, smokiness of the cabbage. Um, I think those are the kind of things that I'm visioning as Korean food. Um, just a little nuances that's changed, but not necessarily taking the dish away. Nonetheless, a lot more care and labor goes into the menus that are traditionally simpler, and he imbues a uniqueness to the otherwise familiar that, maybe because of the way he cooks, is remarkably organic. Yeah, remember we tried their jajangmyeon, or the Korean-Chinese black bean sauce noodles? And it was jajangmyeon for sure, but it was different, but like in a way that made sense. Yeah, it was definitely on the more subtle and refined side. Speaking of refined though, you got to interview the Korean-inspired fine dining bistro in Chicago. Yeah, it was probably the highlight of the quarter getting to visit the Michelin one-star parachute, which is in Avondale, and to talk to the chefs and owners of the restaurant, Beverly Kim and Johnny Clark. Alright Louis, take us there. So I walk into Parachute and it's about the size of a small community shop, but it's got nice exposed brick walls and wooden fixtures. And in the middle, there's this long concrete slab table where the customers sit together in a communal setup. Half of it leads to the bar and an open part of the kitchen where you can see the magic happen. And speaking of the kitchen, it's Halloween weekend and most of the kitchen staff are dressed up as Ninja Turtles, complete with the Master Splinter, the turtle's humanoid mutant rat ninjutsu teacher, who very appropriately is calling out the orders to the respective tables. The thing is, it doesn't really look like a particularly Asian restaurant. A good number of the kitchen staff are Asian American, but it's more of a modern hipster chic thing going on. I mean, visually, they could have been serving anything. Right now, it's, I mean, if you look in our parachute restaurant, there's nothing like Korean traditional decor. Or there's like, it's very American. This is Chef Beverly um, Kim. She's a Korean American woman, a Chicagoland native, and a Kendall College grad with an extensive resume leading up to executive chef at Opera and later Aria in Chicago's Fairmont Hotel. You may have even seen her on Top Chef season nine. Beverly, you are the champion of Last Chance Kitchen. I belong in this competition. This is my moment to seize it. You know, if she continues to cook the way she cooked in Last Chance Kitchen, you're in for some trouble. And then there's her husband and co-owner, Chef Johnny Clark. As you might tell from his name, he's actually not Korean. He's a lanky, laid-back white guy about a foot taller than his wife with a wild crop of hair and brace around his knee. He started out in his hometown of Cincinnati and worked in New York and France before falling into a bit of a rut. I think, you know, after some time, I just, you know, reached that point where I was bored at this job again. And I need to do something. I want, I want to get out of this country. I want to go somewhere else. And I just, I think I, um, I had read this magazine of this chef, uh, Im Ji Ho, and I was re read about his philosophy and it was like, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel about cooking. Like he didn't want to ever do any of the same thing. This was when Johnny was working in a kitchen in New York alongside Korean cooks who had opened his eyes to the cuisines. 
So Johnny asked a friend to call Chef in for him and ask if he could stage, which is basically interning for chefs. She basically translated back to me what he said. He was like, why? You know, like, why does he want to come here? And I guess she was like, he's interested in, you know, Korean food. And he goes, yeah, you know, well, I've been asked a lot of times. They asked me to, and I always said no. He goes, you know, I feel good about this one. <laughs> and he's like, you can, you can come. Johnny knew close to nothing about Korea, but he set off to Chef Im Ji-yo's mountain restaurant, Sandang, deep in the countryside. And he drops me off at the end of this gravel road, and I'm like... What if I, what if I, this isn't the right place or something? I'm like in the middle of nowhere. I would, you know, if I would walk on the road, you know, people would look at me, oh my God, you know, there's like, there's a white person here, you know, like, they were so shocked to see me. They showed up and, you know, they greeted me with like open arms. He's like, oh, here's your room, you know, here's your roommate, you know, we all lived together and have had the experience of a lifetime. I don't know, I think that's when my career my whole like mentality cooking just shifted yeah so like i I mean overall i think that's that's, like what i brought brought back was like his kind of like his mentality since i left there i have been trying to achieve that thought process for eight years ago now you know like i feel like i just finally reached that point this year where i okay like i get it now it was all trying to get past the, the thought of your creations being idea based and then wanted to emulate because I saw the way that you know he treated his products and it was like he thought like nature first like I I need to showcase this the nature here on the other hand Beverly was making her way up the ladder in the fine dining world to Chicago and she was working for her mentor and role model chef Sarah Stegner at Prairie Grass Cafe when she also faced an internal crisis like she was reaching the unhappiest moment in her career I was losing, like him, like I felt like unhappy when I was cooking the food, you know, like it's not that I couldn't do it. I felt like there was something missing for me and I got into like a near, I felt like it was a near death experience, but like I was, I, I kind of spun in a circle, like in the left lane in the highway. It was such a moment where like, oh my God, I could have died. You know, I the moment was so close, like I was so close to getting hit by this car. It was like, I was like, God, what am I doing? I need to, I've been working this whole time. I've never traveled and I've always wondered what it's like to cook Korean food like in Korea. So I like put in my notice with Chef Sarah and I told her like my plan to like, you know, I just need something different right now. I just need to kind of soul search. It's not that the cooking's the problem, it's that like I need to have a personal connection to the food. I appreciate like the, the food that I've been cooking, but it's missing so much of this other stuff that Korean food did for me when I was growing up. So after years of working in kitchens with mostly Western mentalities, she went to Korea seeking to reach back to the food and flavors that got her into cooking in the first place. Like my path was just going to Korea and just reinventing myself. So when I came back from that, I came back more focused, like and more like in, like more invigorated. I was searching for that identity, you know, the seriousness of a French kitchen, but like connecting to something that was meaningful and soulful and something that I enjoyed. Despite her reinvigoration and a vision for what kind of cooking she wanted to do, nothing in Chicago really offered what she was looking for. And it wasn't until Johnny had returned from his experience in Korea, who reached out to her when he found a profile of her in a magazine, that a shared interest in progressive Korean cooking blossomed into a marriage and eventually led to realizing that dream for themselves. And that was Parachute. Um, opening Parachute was our, like, our personal story. 
you know, of food, you know, Korean American combined together. But it's yet, it's so much more because we're constantly discovering who we are. You know, when people think, oh, you're Korean American, so you, it limits you to what they think is Korean, which is, you know, kimchi and barbecue or whatever, um, where it's so much more than that. So what is Parachute's conception of the food it cooks? But yeah, again, I would say the most is like Korean, but a lot of people come and everybody has a different perspective. Some people say, gosh, I wasn't even like, I wouldn't even call you guys Korean American. I would just call you guys really good food. Some people say like, oh, you know, like that, that one dish took me back to Seoul. It's like, oh, really? You know, it's like, like it took me back and like, it just made me so happy. These are like... That was a samosa, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Like some people are like the, the pork belly pancake or something. Like some people just like, can, they take a part, a piece of it, even though it's that dish in itself is not at all like a replication or a traditional dish. But a piece of it might have a memory that links them to yeah. something that has to do with their Korean friend or going to Korea or Seoul or like whatever. Um, but some dishes really don't even have like a memory piece. It just ha- tastes really good. It's just a new dish. It's like a new creation, like a new name, like a new word for a color yeah. that never existed. In this conviction to cook food that truly reflects who they are, they've broken ground for others to be able to do the same. And that's at the core of Parachute. Yes, it's Korean-American, but it's foremost about being themselves. We have four line cooks. Two are Korean-American right now. Uh, our sous chef's Korean-American. Our other sous chef's actually born in Korea but adopted by uh, Japanese parents in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I, I feel so good about like having this restaurant. Like they, you know, they cook. It's more like for them too, you know, a personal journey for them. Yeah. A lot of them like... They love cooking, and they like me. Like worked for other people that they felt like they were missing something, and I feel like parachute's a good way for them to to seek out their identity, and also like it's freeing for them because they don't have to be one or the other. You know, there's some dishes that are more Korean than others, and some that are not, and it's all okay under our umbrella. You know, I feel like it's a really it feels like a com- like a, there's something comforting to as a Korean American cooking a parachute. Like it's not going to be too Korean or like some things are just not like it's just like an idea if you have an idea it's it, if it's delicious it can happen I think it's worth mentioning how all three of these restaurants haven't been around for that long but they're doing pretty well for themselves Yes, people definitely are eating more Korean food and it's gaining momentum with the restaurants like the ones we've gotten to visit But of course the American public hasn't always been this open to Korean food I mean, Korean food used to be weird. I know I got a lot of crap growing up. Trying to explain the differences between sushi and kimbap to nine-year-old white kids was not easy. Same goes for the chefs. Like culinary school, like I was craving Korean food so so bad. I would cook like kimchi jjigae or like I would cook, and I could hear people outside. So they like they'd be walking outside the door, and then they stop at my they're like, "Hey guys, do you smell that? Something smells like dirty socks." Like, something smells like ass! And I would just like hide and crouch. Honestly, I told my parents like at a young age, like I think when I started school that I was like, I'm not taking Korean food to school. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like, mom, like don't be frying uh, fish in here. Like, I smell like fish. Or like, don't, don't give me kimchi before I have to go to school. Like, I guess I wanted to fit in and be white. I was like, I wanted to be an American. And I'm like, I wanted to stay far away from Korean food as possible. I. I was like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to smell like that. I don't want kids to make fun of me. 
when my friends came over and opened the fridge expecting to see like you know craft singles and fucking jello cups and shit they saw like you know pig intestines and fucking kimchi jars you know and weird like you know milky looking jars of like water kimchi and shit and then freaking out and of course things have changed pretty drastically now we are that hot new food right now. I think I saw a commercial that said it was like Frito-Lays has a bar Korean barbecue flavor. It's like, it brought a little tear to my eye. I'm like, we made it. I'm like, this is white people appropriating shit, right? And now they're fucking trying to tell me about kimchi and tell me how to pronounce Caribbean shit, you know? Like, and say, oh, I had Korean barbecue. I'm like, dude, what, the, what does that mean to you? What's Korean barbecue flavor? What does that mean? Oh, you know, the shit you used to eat. You mean the shit they still eat and the shit that you just found out about because you saw some fucking PBS show and because your cool LA friend told you about some fucking Carby house, you know? Hey, I've had your food, man. Good job, you know? Or I started making Jigae, man. You know what Jigae is? I'm like, get the fuck out of here, you know? It's gonna flip a table in front of them and be like, fuck off. You hated my shit before. You're a piece of shit, still. You're just, you know, it's, 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 it's that weird, you know, line of like trendy and, you know, ignorance. Maybe I'm just jaded because I grew up in, the, in a city where they hated my shit, you know? And now it's about educating. Now it's about, like, basically taking white people's money, which I'm fine with. And with the rise of this trend, it's not just the appropriation that's happening. Some chefs feed into it. They see it as opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I'll call, my, I'll call it new Korean or whatever you want me to call it because I can make some money. You know, I'll put Buddha, Buddha all over, you know. I, I swear, every Asian American like restaurant that I've worked in had a Buddha head in there. The one thing I don't want to ever have in my restaurant is a Buddha head. That probably people don't even think, but psychologically, it, it like triggers this like reflex, like I don't want that, you know? Because but I see other Asians defeating it. They put a big Buddha head. They feed into the stereotype because it sells, you know. And it's hard when my fellow brothers and are are feeding into their own stereotypes. So this trend is a bit of a double-edged sword. Maybe it's allowed for more exposure and recognition, but only through limiting frames. Like for Parachute, they brought up the story of how they recently were working towards publishing a cookbook, which they had made clear to their agent early on that they wanted to name the book after their restaurant. And so once it got to the editors, like, oh yeah, we love this book, you know, we, we're gonna propose you this much money and saying, but we, we don't really wanna call it Parachute. We want to call it New Korean American. Uh, well, because it doesn't sell, you know, Korean food is hot right now. And I'm like, I don't want to represent a genre. I want to represent us as artists, as Parachute, you know, and we get to define it when they come in. Like, why can't we just cook who we are just like an Italian chef? Korean American chefs who want to try something new to progress Korean foods and flavors forward have to struggle against the limitations of these expectations and preconceptions. And it also comes from both sides. Koreans were not really people that I was reaching out towards because I know how like stuck in a way Koreans are with food. Um, they're like it's either mom's food or grandma's food or aunt's food. Like it's never like oh that's too different that's not Korean or this is not that this is not that and they all miss their mom's cooking essentially and I know I couldn't offer that because it's completely different than what they grew up with so I wasn't even going towards that way um, so, so when do when Koreans do come in a lot I feel like a lot of them do appreciate it but a lot of them do definitely say this is not Korean food I mean just like the best customer for us is the one who has no no preconceived notions because we want to do something different 
it's kind of like I, I use this analogy is like you, you meet your first you know you grew up somewhere like me you meet your first Asian American friend and like come over to my house you know you walk up to their apartment and then the, the person's like where's all your Asian stuff you know like you know and then so and that's what they should feel like when they walk in to parachute that that like yes it's just like every other restaurant you know but you might taste something different or see something different because what i really i think what we really set out to do is like yes we do a korean american cuisine or hybrid cuisine but don't see us as different than any other american cuisine just appreciate the the perspective you know the history behind it so it's kind of tricky they want to be different but in the sense of being original as any artist not in the sense of being different as the other or the exotic new thing any cuisine is like fusion of something. It's fused by different chefs that's been trained somewhere else, bring different ingredients, done by trade and done by just their, I guess, experience. But when you literally take one idea of a Korean dish, another idea of American dish, and you just put them together just because you feel like you want to, because people will grasp onto it, that becomes silly to me, honestly. And that's where I see the sadness in that. I kind of wish that Korean food was a little bit broadened in a way, um, and I guess that's what I really want to do, is make sure that we could be more mainstream, um, that more people would get it, but at the same time, not bastardize it like Chinese food has become in the United States. I would like Korean food to be, like I said, like kind of at the top, where people think about, I want to go eat Chinese, or I want to go eat Mexican, I want to go eat Italian, um, or I want to go to a fancy restaurant. I would like Korean food to be up there. It's like, why can't your meal be, let's go to a Korean restaurant or let's go eat Korean food. And, you know, it's like anything with, with Asians. It's like, you know, we won't be taken seriously. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we, don't, we don't get taken seriously. So I think this kind of shit will help us, you know, to that level where people will take us seriously and not pigeonhole us and stereotype us, you know, as nerds or whatever it is, you know. So... I, I think it's on its way, and I, and I hope, you know, I hope I don't have to explain what gochujang is. That'd be great. I don't have to explain it to every single fucking person that comes in. That's fantastic. I definitely don't want to be a spokesperson for what is Korean-American, because who the hell am I? I, I think, you know, we just try to be our, ourselves. What we're doing now means a lot more. I, I feel like there's a, there's a deeper meaning to me, and, and that comes to, like, showcasing, you know, Korean-American food as the way we see it because I, I you know I, I hope that what we're doing and the way that things go the Korean food is looked at the same way as Italian food is looked at or mm. German hot dog I mean we all eat a hot dog and we don't ever think about German food and I think that that's what we're trying to do in this world we live in we need more of that we need expectations and, and, and stereotypes to be broken down I mean look at all the issues that we have mm. you know and I think if we can do that with just a simple restaurant mm -hmm. and and we can just speak for ourselves mm -hmm. I think that I think there's a lot we can change that's where I hope it goes and in a way it's already beginning to happen the lunchbox moment that so many Asian Americans experience is quite different for Beverly and Johnny's six-year-old son day one. Oh, so in his lunchbox Maybe. he's so Asian I try to kind of like we try to keep the culture alive you know I think it's a little bit different though like like when he went to school with sushi one day like a parent was like, oh my gosh, my kid was like, mom, I want sushi now. 
Like, like you know, like it was before, like people like, what is that seaweed thing? You know, like get that away. You know, like I think people are now like, mom, I want sushi or I want this. You know, like the parent, the teachers comment like how nice our lunch boxes are. You know, for him, and he's so proud that he can use chopsticks. Like, and other kids don't know how to use chopsticks. Like, and he can eat spicy food. And he, yeah, he like he eats way spicier than like normal kids do. Do you guys think Korean food will eventually become American, like pizza or anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll get there eventually. That's essentially what American cuisine is, right? I think oppositely, it would be hard to really pick out something uniquely native to America. American cuisine is mostly the adoption of its many immigrant cultures. And especially looking at how things are with Beverly and Johnny's son Daewon and his peers, or Ed and Mike Marzuski from Maria's, I think as we move on to future generations, it'll be a much more natural process. On the other hand, though, Chinese food or Japanese food has been here for quite some time, and they're still kind of othered. And this is despite the fact that people from China wouldn't even recognize what's called American Chinese food here. And what Americans often refer to sushi are often bastardized rolls that Japanese people wouldn't even eat. I guess the otherness is still very much something Asians have to deal with to a certain extent. In that way, where we are with Korean food really kind of neatly maps on to where Koreans are in America. Yeah, like up until the 90s, most of what Americans associated with Koreans was cheap cars and laundromats. And now it's top-of-the-line consumer electronics, K-pop culture, and along with that, it's probiotic fermented foods and barbecue. A somewhat pessimistic view might say this current popularity is less a sign of assimilation per se. I kind of share the chef's ambivalence with that. Like, it's way better than people still asking whether it's the south or north of the Koreas my parents are from. And now being able to take non-Asian friends to Korean restaurants and not worry so much about whether they think it'll be cool or something. But there's still that assumption that I keep running into with people, and that's that they assume that I'm not from here. I do think there are being more Korean Americans actively taking part in progressing the flavors and the cuisines, as well as the wide spectrum of culture and the arts. It could be what takes it to that next step. Yeah, if more kids grow up to become chefs like Dave, Juan, Beverly, or even Johnny, it could happen. Maybe someday you could be ordering delivery jajangmyeon from a restaurant run by some Polish dude. <laughs> that might actually be really cool. I mean, would that come with sauerkraut or tamuji? <laughs> sauerkraut would have to be pickled yellow for sure. So we talked a lot about all these Korean-American chefs, the food that they make, the thought and care, and the philosophy behind it and all. But like, I think Chef Beverly said before, you gotta taste it. Yeah, as we were conducting these interviews, which were fantastic, but as we were talking conceptually about food, in the corner of my mind I was like, well let's see, you know, or taste rather. Like we can't have an episode about food without some level of tasting involved, right? We even have three restaurants that are varying pretty widely like some are refined but come from a gourmet touch while others are more modest but exciting right so some on the familiar some on the drastically new so we got to try a little bit of the food from each of the three restaurants we've been but as long as we're trying to find out where these korean american dishes fall on the hybrid spectrum we should get some help gauging that and who better but young korean and korean americans right We're not food experts or bloggers, but we've grown up with Korean food, and we've been exposed to so much more. So we decided to invite some of our friends to try with us. Ideally, we would take everyone to the places we wanted to hit, but that just didn't make any logistical sense. So we decided to bring the food to the people instead of vice versa. Like takeout. We set up to visit Hanbun, Kimski, and Parachute, as well as Enakore and Bop and Grill for some added variety. Planning the trip was still a headache. 
And despite our best efforts to streamline the trip, there was still the fact that it was going to be a 5-6 hour drive, and keeping the food warm and tasty after all that time would be a challenge. So on day of, Danny and I set off for Evanston at 1pm to get to Hanbun, which is all the way down in Westmont by 2.30, since they're only open for lunch. I called Jennifer at Hanbun ahead of time so that they would prepare it to suit the long trip ahead of Danny and Louis. We got a bowl of jajangmyeon, two pork buns, and a vegetable pancake. They even gave us a pork bun to eat in the car. So the, the pancakes might taste fine um, at room temperature or cold, but if you guys want to crisp it back up, you can put it in the toaster oven. The instructions are on there. Alright, well I know you guys Good are busy. Yeah. yeah, thank you so, so much. Okay? Yeah, definitely. From there, we went back up north for an hour drive to Wicker Park, where Inakura is. Our professor actually recommended that we check this place out for their paratha tacos. How many orders? Two orders. Two orders. One beef, one pork? Yes. Okay. So that's four tacos, right? Right. Okay. Well, you can just warm it up a little bit. Just warm it up for 30 seconds, maybe. Okay. It's okay. By four, we had the tacos, and we headed back down south to Bridgeport to visit Kim's Key, which opens at five. It's headed by Chef Wan Kim. Hey, we brought food from Hanbun. They, oh, they, they asked us to give you the... Again? They gave me chalimyeon again? They were like, you love it so much. I do love it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You just give me the shit and you guys can assemble it. If that works, yeah. Yeah, that works way better. Yeah. I don't want it sitting around, that's why. Yeah. And he gave us two Maria Standards, Kimski's flagship Kopo hot dogs, two sausage plates, which come with panchan, or Korean side dishes, and Kopo wings. I would just like heat and eat. <laughs> you guys are poor college students, right? <laughs> let me know how it goes. So you have my number, just let me know if you have any questions about the heat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. There were two more restaurants to visit before returning to Evanston by 7, and it would be logistically tricky considering the traffic. So in what we thought was great foresight, we called Parachute in Avondale before setting off from Bridgeport. Thank you for your patience. Please continue to hold, and we will be... Thank you for calling Parachute. How may I help you? Hi, this is Lewis and Danny. Um, and we were hoping to come by today to order some food to pick up. Um, so we were wondering if we could uh, order takeout if that's possible. We, we actually don't offer takeout at this time. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we only do in-house um, dinner. Mm -hmm. Oh. Um, if you like, um, we do have some space later this evening if you wanted to come in for dinner. Um, we, we do have a 9.30 still available. Well, so much for foresight. Unfortunately, we had to scrap Parachute from the plan and head straight to Bop and Grill in Loyola, known for its umami burgers and kimchi fries. Since the burgers weren't so suited for an hour-long wait, we settled with two purgugi plates and kimchi fries and made our way back home. We arrived in Evanston just in time at around 6.45, and with the help of our friend Steve, we got ready for the main event. So we had Jun and Jaeyoung, our roommates who lived mostly in Korea, Monica, Steve, and Elizabeth, who are from outside of Korea but lived in Korea for a few years, and then there's Chuyoung and Justine, who mostly grew up in the States. So once everyone got here and settled in, we started with our dishes from Hanbun. So like, go ahead and like, yes, like help yourselves, because there, there, there will be just stuff keep like coming. Alright, so this is jajangmyeon. This is actually really good. 
Yeah, so so jjajangmyeon is technically a Chinese-Korean noodle dish with black bean sauce, but it's practically a Korean staple that's sometimes hard to come by in the U.S. So that's why people are freaking out. Along with the jjajangmyeon, we also got a vegetable pancake called cheon in Korean. And there were also the pork buns, which has a pork braised in soy and coffee, and white kimchi and samjang, a variant of the fermented bean paste tuenjang, an essential staple of Korean cuisine similar to miso, all within a Chinese bun. It feels more Korean than American to me, like if you're looking at it from like a Korean to American spectrum, because like I think certain uh, Asian fusion and Korean fusion foods are like very distinctly like, fusion. I feel like this is catered towards Korean Americans, where it's like, they're definitely very, very familiar flavors that are not your like everyday American flavors. Mm-hmm. I feel like the ton and the jjajangmyeon are more like Korean. Like I, f- I can imagine myself like eating this in Korean, thinking yeah. it's like just regular like Korean food. Whereas the bun, I feel like it's not something I'm used to. Mm-hmm. I feel like the bun, it's new, yeah. but all the flavors is Korean. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing new completely. Yeah, because like, there's tenjang and then there's. It's just the vehicle. Like, it's like oh. the bun itself that doesn't oh, yeah, feel yeah. very Korean. No, even the bun, like it. That's like both oh, buns, oh, like Chinese. Oh, well, that's style. true. But yeah. like, I think it's just the combination that's new. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But all the tastes are Korean. Next, we served the paratha tacos from En Hakore. We didn't know at the time, but the paratha, which is used like the tortilla of a taco, is a South Asian flatbread, and it holds within it grilled Korean-style beef or spicy pork as well as vegetables and sauce. No, the inside of this taco tastes like, like legit. Mm, it's pretty spicy. Yeah, it's like spicier than I think it should be. Mm. I feel like tortilla, like... <laughs> yeah, I can eat it, but then I don't think Americans would yeah. do too well. <laughs> I feel like tortilla, like, serves a role, like, as the rice, like, when we eat meat, usually, like, in Korean mm. dishes. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I think, I feel like that's why, like, it doesn't really feel Mexican to me, but it still feels like Korean dish, because it's, like, the same, like, flavor that I'm getting. Mm-hmm. It feels Korean, but, like, a little more, like, diffused Korean. I don't know how to explain it, but, like, <laughs> the main thing that comes out of that is, like, the spiciness. After having the bulgogi plate and the kimchi fries from Bop and Girl, which everyone generally deemed Maybe tasted pretty standard to them, we finished off with kimchi's. Whoa! Oh, I want to try. What is this? Yes, yeah, so this is this is kimchi's uh, Maria standard. This is like um, Polish sausage with. Uh, so I think this is like like a kimchi-fied version of sauerkraut on top. Like that's the red stuff. And then of course you have just pa, and then like I, there's there's soju mustard Whoa. on the on the bread. Soju mustard. Yeah. I'm taking a picture of this. So oh, so I get why it's called kimchi. Kimchi is the whole thing. They couldn't use the normal mustard. <laughs> soju mustard. My mouth is so confused. It's interesting. It's just you know, it tastes like kimchi at least. What's it? I no. don't. I can taste the. It's the mustard that threw me off. I can take the mustard. It's like really strong. So after a good hour of assembling the food and picking out. Plates were emptied and bellies were full. Oh my gosh, a food coma. You guys got a lot of food. Yeah. yeah. What do you like best so far? I like the tacos. See, I like the tacos. I felt like it was the most Korean fusion. It was interesting because it didn't even... The only thing that was like taco-ish about it was the way it was constructed. Not Because it wasn't even like a corn or flour tortilla. It was like, it felt like a... 
like that roadie bread you get at flat top um oh uh, yeah exactly mm. well flat top yeah so it was interesting how it was a taco but the only thing that was like a taco about it was the way it was the way it constructed looked. yeah mm. I also really like yeah mm. how'd you like the buns how's the buns it was like surprising i think the taste I think because of the pek kimchi, I wasn't expecting. Mm. But it was good. That one felt like a lot of separate flavors floating together mm. rather than like you know? It didn't seem like cohesive, but it was good. <laughs> wow, guys, I wish I could have been there too. Sounds like it went pretty well. Yeah, that was quite a day. The responses were interesting, and I think even more so since we had a good variety at the same time. I think Hanbon and Kimski had a good contrast. Like, the ones from Hanbon or Bapin Grill looked pretty familiar, and the ones from Enhakori and Kimski were pretty drastically new. Also, I was actually surprised that some people found the jjajangmyeon to be pretty standard. Because I thought, while it was still undoubtedly jjajangmyeon, it had a uniqueness to it that was interesting to me. I mean, people didn't really get to try a bowl each like we did before, and maybe it's worth noting that our straight-up Korean friends felt it to be different more so than maybe the more Korean-American guys. So maybe it's just a matter of what they have to compare it against. I also love how everybody's minds were blown when we brought the Maria standards out. Yeah, I actually really hope they enjoyed it. Too bad we didn't have beer to go with it. And also, kudos to our professor Bill Healy for suggesting Enakora to us, because the reception for the Pratha tacos were actually pretty great. Hearing this makes my mouth water. I wish I was there. I really do hope to go back though. Everyone was so friendly and insightful. Yeah, speaking of which, I know the Korean community in Chicagoland isn't as big or as prominent as it is in LA or New York maybe, but I'm kind of proud that there are quite a few restaurants around that are pushing the boundaries of Korean dishes and flavors like this. I really do hope the food and I guess the Koreans and Asian culture by extension can be a seamless part of American food and culture like any someday. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, and... We still do need to go to Parachute. Ugh, don't even get me started. It brings a tear to my eye. Uh, big We'd like to thank Chef Won Kim and the staff of Kimski. David Park and Jennifer Tran of Hanbon. And Beverly Kim, Johnny Clark, and Daewon Clark for welcoming us to their home and the rest of the Parachute staff. Thanks also to Steve Sung, Jun Yu, Jaeyoung Shin, Justine Kim, Monica Lee, Young Lee, and Elizabeth Jang for joining us for dinner and providing input. And last but not least, thanks to Professor Bill Healy. You've been listening to Danny Huang, Elizabeth Ju, and Louis So, and this is K-Town USA. 